0: God, we're grateful um, for your generosity to us, um, grounded first and foremost in the giving of uh, Christ to die and open up a new living way for us, but also in your giving us the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to show us things we don't otherwise see, and to help us hear things we don't otherwise hear. So would you give us ears to hear? eyes to see whatever your spirit wants us to hear and see and then give us the courage and the grace to uh, respond. Let me ask a song of Christ's then. Amen. Uh, anybody here run in, go to the next slide, anybody here run in the mini marathon last year, this last May? All right. Uh, actually, I'm just going to interview you. You didn't, you didn't know this. All right. Uh, what's your name? My name is Will. What's your name up Will? Oh, right. So Will, uh, for this mini-marathon, I'm assuming you signed up for it, and in the morning of the marathon you just went there and ran, like there was no other preparation. Is that correct? Um, that's close to correct, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me find somebody else to interview you. What did you do um, to prepare? So you had this you had this vision, you wanted to do it, right? Right, right, right. So I've done it every year. Uh, I do it with my grandma. She's, she's 75 and she still runs it. It's incredible. Uh, oh, where's she? Let's interview her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she prepares a lot more than I do. Okay. Um, but I was a cross country runner in high school, so every year I would prepare just with the season. So running every day with the team. So uh, some kind of a plan. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, but last year, in uh, like the five months leading up to it, I tried to get out and run pretty much pretty much every day, four or five miles to. Kind okay. of in shape somewhat. So you had some kind of plan. Some kind of plan. All right. Yeah, and, right. A, and a little bit of an eating plan, but not much. Okay, so. thanks Will. Thank yeah. you, Are you running this year? Yes, I am. Okay, with Grandma? With Grandma. Okay, very good. Very good, very good, very good. Okay, now, here's, the, here's one point I want to make in that. I'm, I'm glad Real said he prepared because anybody who's wanting to run something like that, whether it's a mini marathon, I see Daniel Coons back there is running marathons, right Daniel? That in the green shirt back there, Mr. Runnerman. Um, they have a vision to do it, and they have an intention to do it, but that means nothing if there's not a plan to do it. If there's no preparation, there's no training. Will didn't just wake up the morning at this last May and say, I feel like running 13.3 miles a day, and I'm going to do it, even though the last month of my life, I haven't run a step, and I've eaten horribly. We all know that there's certain ways our bodies work and you have to train your body to accomplish something that you think is worthwhile and meaningful, all right? So we understand that. We understand there has to be a plan involved. Now, the same thing is true, incredibly true, in the whole realm of our souls. One of the things, uh, go to the next slide. We're talking right now, we're we're starting a series in the book of Philippians. Philippians is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and one of the things that Philippians is known as is the letter of joy, and you'll see that one of the things we want to be at Exodus Church, we want to be people who are turned into people who have abnormal joy. Well, do you just wake up some morning and decide, I'm going to have abnormal joy today, now? Is that how it works? Do Do you just decide to be joyful? Did we we'll decide that morning to be in shape to run for the mini-marathon? Does Daniel Coons decide the morning of the marathon to run 26 miles? Well, no, the decision comes much longer before that, and then there has to be things you do that prepare yourselves for that. So is it, is it possible that there are things we can do to build our joy muscle? Joy's not a muscle, I understand that, but is there something we can do? to train ourselves to be people who have souls filled with joy. Because you know and I know somebody might say to you, well you just need to be more joyful. Well somebody telling you to do that is not going to help you become more joyful. And you can try need to be joyful. I know life's falling apart. You can do all this self-talk. You can have people who guilt you into not being joyful enough. But it's not going to make you joyful. So how do you become joyful? How do you become abnormally joyful? In the same way, how do you become a runner at a mini marathon or how do you do well on a test in school? There are, there are ways in which God has designed not only our bodies but our souls to work in which things we can do can help that part of our souls grow, grow into joy. And you might think, well, I thought Christianity was not about you know, works or anything. No, it's not about works. It's about effort, though. There are effort, there are things that God's designed that we can do to build and stretch and fill our souls with joy so we're the joyful people that we say we want to be. It doesn't just happen magically. You don't all of a sudden become more joyful if you come out of the baptism waters. Actually, we're having a baptism, I think, in early November, just as a side. You don't all of a sudden become joyful all of a sudden. It's not like magic. You do have access to the Holy Spirit, but there's things he wants us to do. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the very first part of the book of Philippians. Go to the next slide. Now just so, just keep, keep in mind, Philippians, so the challenge is what, what did Paul write to them then, which was... A.D. 62, you know, 25, 30 years after Jesus' uh, resurrection. And that picture actually is the oldest known manuscript of the book of Philippians, uh, dated about 200 A.D. So I put that up because I want you to realize that what we have in the Bible is very well documented through a whole science of studying old manuscripts. So we have confidence in the Bible that it is uh, what the Holy Spirit Gave to people to write, but the challenge is: How do we take that that he wrote for them then, and how do we apply it to us now? How does how does the message to the Philippians translate to Kirkwood? How do we what was what was Paul saying to them, and what did the Holy Spirit intend for us to hear through Paul to them onto us? Because we're the church of Bloomington, just like we are the church of Philippi. So another just a background to uh, Philippi was the city. Uh, It was part of the Roman Empire. It's not part of ancient. It's part of Greece, but it was part of the Roman Empire at the time. So just kind of get a sense of where it was. It was last week we talked about in Acts 16, where Paul and Silas and uh, Luke and Timothy all went to Philippi the first time to talk about Jesus and the good news that Jesus came to to proclaim to people, and that Paul was traveling to do that. So that's what Paul first went there. Remember the story last week. Paul and Silas end up getting beaten severely, Uh, they spend time in jail, and uh, God sends an earthquake, opens a jail, but just a lot of supernatural, powerful stuff because of what Paul did in Philippi, and and the gospel began to grow there, and churches began to grow there. So here's what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at actually Philippians chapter 1, so get my Bible open to that place, I had it open there, and let me just read off the opening part of the letter to you, all right? You may not be able to read that. I just thought I I just copied it straight out of my Bible, the one I use, and uh, let me just read it. But you might not be able to read it. But it's follow along. It, it says, "This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace." All right. So the, this is the letter. Romans, Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians, these are all letters. They're often referred to as the epistles of Paul, epistles is another word for letter. These were actually letters written in the same format of letters in that time. So if you would have grown up in those days, and you in grade school had, this is how you write a letter, it would have had the same kind of form, you know, the, who are are writing it to, and you have some greetings, I mean, if anywhere, I remember like in third grade, we were taught how to, you know, where you put the return address and you sign sincerely and you should put it on this side and then in so many spaces. There was a similar kind of letter writing culture at the time. And so this kind of follows that. And I'm saying that because Paul actually takes a diversion from the cultural norm in a few, in a, in a few verses that it's going to be, we're going to highlight this morning. But this is, this is the normal way. People would write letters in the ancient world. Who is it to? I'm writing, this is from who, this is who I'm writing to. And then some kind of, well, you know, may God give you grace and peace. Now, Paul wasn't just using that flippantly. And that wasn't part of the ancient culture. But Paul was just saying, you know, hope all is well with you. All right? Now, then he writes this. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. That was a huge, huge difference. From the culture of letter writing and i'll explain that in a minute but i'm just going to tell you that this is paul's following the form and he kind of jumps off so then he says whenever i pray i make my request for all of you with joy for you have been my partners in the spreading of good news about christ from the time you first heard it until now and I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. All right, now go to the next slide, because I just highlighted this one paragraph now, all right? When I'm reading this, and this is just how I think about when I read the Bible, I think a lot of you need to read the Bible this way, kind of see what sticks out to you. Um, it's not like the font all of a sudden grows this, you know, 42-point font, or not like a yellow highlighter jumps out. But some sometimes words, phrases, will jump out to you when you read the Bible. And that's often how God kind of highlights things to us. But the word joy, obviously, kind of stuck out to me. When I was first reading this a few weeks ago and then this week some more, it's like, okay, Paul, we know the book of Philippians is known for, it's the letter of joy. At least 16 times Paul uses that word in this letter. It's not all that long. I said last week too, Paul was where when he wrote this letter? He was in jail, prison. Most people think Rome, some people think it was Ephesus, but he was in prison. We know he was not in a place we would normally associate with joy. So that gets me thinking. Okay, why right away is Paul talking about joy? He's in like a dungeon. He's chained. He's not even sure he's gonna get out of jail. But he's writing about joy. So it started to stir my questions. Like what's going on here? Why Why is he so joyful and how is he so joyful? Sometimes you're around people that are happy all the time, and it, it's almost like they bug you, because their happiness seems fake, and sometimes it is. But this is Paul, this is a joy about Paul, and joy is different than happiness. Joy is deeper than happiness, and so this guy's writing about joy while he's in prison. And it's like last week when I talked about he and Silas were in prison in a different scenario after being beaten severely because they. Jesus, and they're singing joyfully, and what came to my mind was, how, how can I be somebody like that? Because happiness, happiness is something you feel in result of external circumstances kind of going your way. Joy is something you feel that has nothing to do with external circumstances. Your joy is immovable no matter what's going on in your life, and that's a soul issue. That's not... in Nobody lives in 100% perpetual joy, but you understand what I'm saying? Somebody who has joy is not because of things externally going into their life. It's they have it. They're just a joyful person. So it kind of thinks, connecting that came somewhere deep in them. And how'd they get that? Did they just get the joy gene when they were born? Did they just have joy poured into them somewhere that you, you and I must have missed that when we were born? Or did Paul become that way through things he did. And here's what came next to me. I'm reading this and I think, okay, the next word, go to the next slide. He starts off by saying, I give thanks. And it's interesting, this is where what Paul does is vastly different than the cultural norm of writing letters. Because the cultural norm in those days, at this point in the letter, you would simply say, Let's say if I'm uh, writing, was it Dan, if I'm writing a letter to Dan, I'd say, you know, uh, like I said, from, this is from Matt, this is to Dan, grace and peace to you. At this point in the letter, I'd say, um, may you have good health. I hope you have good health. I wish good health for you. That's the norm of this part of the letter that Paul would have been taught as a third grader or whatever. But Paul takes a diversion. This is something that doesn't happen in any other ancient letters because Paul talks about giving thanks for the person that he's writing to. I'm giving thanks to God for you. And it made me start to wonder, is there a connection between joy and giving thanks? And then I started, I started realizing, I looked at every one of, not every one, but most of Paul's letters, he starts out with this counter-cultural letter-writing phrase of giving thanks that wasn't part of the norm. To the Romans, he says, let me say first that I thank my God in Christ for you because of your faith. To the Corinthians, I always thank my God for you and the gracious gifts he's given you. To the Ephesians, I have not stopped thanking God for you, I pray for you constantly. To the Colossians, we always pray for you, we give thanks to God. To the Thessalonians, we always thank God for you and pray for you constantly. To, the, to Philemon, a friend of his, I always thank my God when I pray for you. I mean, Paul's doing this countercultural thing of not just saying cultural niceties like, "Well, I hope it goes well with you, Dan. Hope you're having a good day. Hope all is well." But he's saying, "You know what? I'm I'm grateful for you. I thank God for you." And it got me to think more and more about the go to The next slide: this connection between joy and gratitude. Joy and gratitude, and then I'm just kind of you know. I have commentaries and I research that way, but I also get on Google and I try to figure out. So I Googled Joy and Gratitude. And what came up was a, a book that my wife had been reading and I know Dan heard this woman speak one time. And this is what's interesting, Brene Brown, she's a, a professor in Houston um, of like social work and she researches emotions. She's been on Oprah, she's been at major church conferences, she's done a TED Talk. And what she found, she did this whole series of interviews of hundreds of people and had, she said, like 11,000 pieces of data. Because she was researching people's emotions. You know, whether it was shame, vulnerability. And then she, and she wasn't looking for this, but she found that there were a number of people that, that were talking about joy in their life. And they were joyful people. And then what she said, what she found was a, undeniable connection between joyful people and grateful people. This is what she said. Without exception, every person I interviewed who described living a joyful life or described themselves as joyful actively practiced gratitude and attributed their joyfulness to their gratitude practice. Secondly, she said, with both joy and gratitude were described as spiritual practices that were bound to a belief in human interconnectedness and a power greater than us. Sounds like Paul. People were quick to point out the difference between happiness and joy, as a difference between a human emotion that's connected to circumstances, happiness, and a spiritual way of engaging with the world that is connected to practicing gratitude, joy. So, it is fascinating. It is fascinating to me that somebody doing research at a university confirms what Scripture already tells us is that joy is connected to gratitude. So you might say, okay, so I should just practice gratitude, I should be grateful, having, what's the phrase? I should have attitude of gratitude. But what's interesting in not only what we see of Paul, and not only what we see in research that happened recently that confirms, it's not just having an attitude of gratitude, because we all know what's having an attitude of gratitude, and it's kind of a lingo we can use, but, practically doing something that expresses gratitude. Practical gratitude. And I don't simply mean uh, the pressure you feel to write thank you notes after your wedding, where you have 55 thank you notes to write, and it's the cultural expected thing you're doing if you don't, people, you still might be grateful, but you know what I'm saying, it's the pressure of gratitude sometimes that we don't like. But other times that maybe practicing gratitude in tangible ways, maybe, I think this is true in scripture, but maybe doing practical things like that starts to open up things in our soul where there's space for joy. And I don't mean simply saying, well, I'm grateful, and these are good things to be grateful for. Grateful for my car, I'm grateful for health, I'm grateful for me personally, air conditioning in the summer. You know, I'm grateful for those things. I'm grateful I live in the United States. Well, that's good, I'm grateful for those things. But what's interesting is what Paul tends to go over to the next slide. He talks about, you're my partners, and he talks about the relationship they have. And Paul expresses tangibly gratitude to people for their role in his life. I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful to God that he gave me you in my life. And it's interesting that Paul does this over and over again, not just in Philippians, but every letter he writes, not everyone, but almost every letter he writes. He's expressing specific gratitude to people. And he's telling them, I'm grateful for you. And keep in mind, some of these letters Paul wrote, were, he would say that, and then the rest of the letter, he would kind of take him to task about something. So he wasn't just buttering him up by saying, Hey, I'm grateful for you, grateful for you, by the way, you're messing up. He really loved these people. And he was grateful that God had put them in his circle of relationships. And so Paul tells him that. He says, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what you you in my life. So here's 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 my one line two word application for the day. Go to the next slide. Practice gratitude. And here's what, I'm, here's what I mean and here's what I don't mean. I don't simply mean kind of the, uh, oh, the gratitude of, well, you know, you say thank you to the cashier which you check, oh, hey, thanks. I mean, that's just general politeness. That's just general cultural norms, writing a thank you note after a wedding gift. Those are general, genuine cultural norms. Just like what Paul did in his letter where he kind of changed the cultural norm, he transformed the cultural norm, and he specifically is telling individual people, I am grateful for you. Let me ask you this, when's the last time you told somebody that you were grateful that they are in your life? When's the last time you actually wrote a letter? Well, I wasn't many of us wrote a letter, right? Email, but when's the last time you actually wrote with your own hand, telling somebody, I'm really grateful during my life. Because we don't often do that. It feels vulnerable. I mean, why does Paul, when Paul's saying this to them, he's expressing some degree of not just appreciation for them, but he's implying, which maybe is part of what we don't want to imply, he's implying that I need you in my life. And maybe that's what sometimes gratitude does is it hits at the heart of our self-sufficiency. Because if, if I say to Dan Hendricks, Dan, I'm grateful I need you in my life. What I'm saying is I am not self-sufficient. I need relationships around me to be the man I want to be. If I say to my wife, I'm grateful for you're in my life. Yeah, you, you can say that in a way that you're supposed to say it, and you know, people always put it on Facebook on their you know, husband or wife's birthday, I'm grateful. But do I really believe that I am grateful for my wife's interaction in my life? And what she's do I believe I'm grateful am I grateful for people God's put in my life that have been part of maybe hard conversations but they have been hard conversations that have been necessary for me to grow in my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus so yeah it's good I mean there's, there's books out there that will tell you to list, you know, list all the things you're grateful for it's great to be grateful for things when you should be but it seems like what Paul is maybe getting on to here and maybe kind of I would say suggesting to all of us that maybe there's a pathway to joyfulness is the habit of being grateful for people that God's put in your life. Because again, it hits at the heart of self-sufficiency. It hits the heart of isolation. Remember this sign we had a couple weeks ago that we're committed to being people who don't live lives in isolation? That's why groups are really good. They're not just really good, they're necessary. Those kind of relationships are necessary. If if you're living a life where you don't need anybody, you will not live a life of abnormal love, joy, and courage. You won't. Because God has designed us in healthy ways to need others. And if you don't need others, there's no reason for you to be grateful for anybody. So my, my challenge is simply this. Um, is there some way, is there some person that you can just tell them you're grateful for? Whether it's a note, go to Target and buy, thank, buy lots of thank you notes. I don't even know how much stamps cost they were, 52 cents? Write do you email Although sometimes I think a written note maybe says a little bit more than an email says more than a text. I'm just kind of giving my own social norms understanding. You know, a thank you from a text, which would you rather get? Somebody saying I'm grateful for you in a text or a card they actually took time to buy? Just my personal, maybe I'm too old, to understand the younger generation, but that's what I would prefer. All right? But think about, even right now, think for a second, who are people right now apart from any immediate family you would say I'm grateful that person was or is in my life? because of maybe what they've done for you spiritually, how they've challenged you. And my next question is, have you ever told them that? Not simply to encourage them, although it will, but sometimes in that kind, in just saying that, you're acknowledging a certain degree of neediness for other people that is a good kind of healthy neediness. You're acknowledging that self-sufficiency is not how you want to live your life and you're acknowledging that I need people, and yes, you are one of the people that God put in my life and I'm so grateful I did. Or you're one of the people God's put in my life right now and I'm so grateful he has. It's practical, tangible expressions of gratitude to people is just like training for a marathon in a sense. If you want joy, if you want to have a heart that's being stretched with joy, Gratitude in tangible ways of being a grateful person seems to be infinitely connected to joy, like they're first cousins, maybe even identical twins, maybe even connected with the hip twins. Can you think of anybody you know that's joyful that's also not grateful? And usually people that aren't joyful, you would probably say they're kind of like Eeyore, they're not grateful, they don't see anything positive in life. One of my my mentors was a guy, uh, a professor at the school I went to, and when he he had a 10-year-old daughter, she died uh, unexpectedly overnight one night. And he said the only thing that kept he and his wife not only sane, but connected to Jesus was every night before they went to bed, they, they would talk about 10 things that they're grateful for, whether it was things or people. whatever, because they knew that if they kept up a habit of gratitude, it would keep them from going into the dark hole of despair that a death of a child would suck you into. So, yeah, be grateful for things, but be grateful for people and communicate that to people. Be grateful for God for what he's put in your life. And again, we would all say, well, of course we're grateful, but sometimes a tangible expression of that is beginning to be, I I sent somebody a thank you note, this was not part of my, I didn't do it to give myself an illustration for the sermon, but I sent someone a thank you note just in the mail Friday. And honestly, when I sent it, it was just thanking for something they had done, uh, helped me out with something, but I I I said, I'm grateful for that. But there is something, when I drop in the mailbox, there's something that I feel like kind of starts releasing in me. Like, I need people like that person in my life, because they help me love Jesus more. And I need to express that to them. So practice gratitude. That's your homework for the week. Do something tangible this week, expressing gratitude to someone. Could be a note. Could be I mean, you don't need to give a note to the cashier at Crowley, although maybe you would, but I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Be tangible. Think of someone in your life that you, you're grateful for, and tell them. All right. We'll finish with this. Interesting. Luke 22, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is the night where we call the Last Supper. And uh, this is the, before Jesus was going to be arrested, tortured, crucified. Jesus takes a cup of wine and what does he do? He gives thanks. Right? To God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves for I will not drink wine again to thank for the kingdom of God has come. Kind of this is where we get this tradition, this habit of communion. It comes from this. It gives the symbol of what's going on here. Jesus he took some bread and what did he do? He gave thanks. Jesus gave thanks to God. He was grateful to God. He knew what was going to happen within hours. And he's giving thanks to God for how God provides for us in our lives. And I'm guessing when he gave thanks, there was an intensity to it that none of us would probably totally understand. Because he knew what was coming, but he was grateful to God for what God brought to his life. I'm not saying we're supposed to be thankful for pain and suffering. I don't think we're ever told to tell God, thank you for the beating. But it could be, thank you, God, for being with me in the midst of that. Thank you, God, for what came of me because of that. We don't thank God for evil. I've heard some, actually, I've heard some Pastors even say that. I don't say anything in the Scripture that tells us to thank God for evil. We may thank God for his presence with us in evil, or thank God for his presence with us throughout the point of what became of us. But Jesus thanks God for the cup. He thanks God for the bread. He thanks God for provision. And then he served it to them. And many times, whether it was the feeding of the 5,000 or other things, it says Jesus gave thanks, Jesus gave thanks, Jesus gave thanks. Thanks, and joy. Because what we read in the book of Hebrews is Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. So perhaps Jesus' joy was a result of his habit of giving thanks in practical, tangible, and meaningful ways. So here's how we do it at Exodus. We we uh, we're going the band will come up here in a second, and we'll sing a few more songs. Maybe one more song. I don't know for sure. And everybody's, in, you're invited up for communion then. We come up during the song. We don't dismiss by rows. We don't, uh, we don't try to see who's up or who's down. We don't, we're not going to do that. We don't do that. We will never do that. But you the corner up and then what we do is we offer you the bread that Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in memory. Eat this and remember what I came to do for you. Because Jesus said he came to gave, give us abundant joy. He came to give us a life that was deeper and richer and more satisfying than we could ever imagine. So when you remember, you're remembering his promises. And then he said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And so in the same way, when you take this into your body, you're taking in the promises of Jesus for your forgiveness and again for your life, for your new life, for a new kind of life. Not just heaven after you die, but a new kind of fuller kind of life that's driven by gratitude that's expressed in joy. So uh, most people eat it right away. We take the bread, we extract these, we dip it in the cup, that's how we do it here, dip it in. Most people eat it right away, some people take it back to their seat. It's up to you how you want everyone to do it. Um, anyone's welcome to a table. If you're giving a straight arm to God in some clear area that you know that God's saying to do A and you're doing the opposite of that, this is your own benefit not to take. But then we don't check, and see who's up or down on that one. So just um, let's pray and then we will uh, worship and we'll take. Jesus, we want to be we want to be like Paul who seemed not didn't seem to, but he actually came out of a deep place of joy in his life for people, even though his circumstances weren't joyful, and even though sometimes the people were hurtful. But he still was joyful for them. He was grateful for them. God, we want to be those kind of people who have a deep set sense of gratitude to you for the people you've put in our lives. Um, but Jesus, we also want to be like you, mostly, because you not only were grateful to God for things you brought into your life and grateful to God for his provision, but you also were joyful at this prospect of what was before you that would open up this way for us to become people of abnormal love, abnormal joy, abnormal courage. So, Jesus, thank you for opening up this new living way, and we take this. honor of you. Let me ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, one thing I'll just mention too is interesting. Some of you may come from a liturgical culture, Catholic, Episcopal, and in those world, this is called the Eucharist. Eucharist is the Greek word for thanksgiving, gratitude. The root word of Eucharist, charis, is the Greek word for joy. So even in the language thanksgiving and joy are wrapped together. So what we are partaking is a grateful, joyful gift from God to us. So let's sing and let's take.
1: Sometimes we have to do this one. Um, we don't typically do, but uh, we're going to do another song. I'm going to do the first song again, just because it's a much more joyful.
0: just to the end here if you're on the end of the aisles grab one of those buckets and just pass it while you're standing up and that's for if you have something to tear off you want to communicate something to us it's also for offering so just stay standing as you pass that as you're doing that too if you're a new if you're a guest and you want to uh, let us know who you are Dan will be over at the side over there uh, if you have the tear off thing also if you would on your way out in the inconveniently Tables, would you sign those cards to the pastors? Can I ask you to try to do at least three of them? There's 12 in all. Sign at least three. And uh, I don't know, Sadie, could you be over there, kind of accosting people till they sign three? Or seven okay. Um, even, if you, even if you're not, a, if you're a regular person, X is definitely signed. But just, just as a way of saying uh, we want to encourage that pastor, all right? So let me pray, and then we'll be done. God, we uh, would you bless us all. Um, would you make your face to shine upon us? And this week, uh, Father, would you uh, look us in the eyes? And would you speak to us in ways we need to hear you? And would you give us peace? And we yes, ask all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks. Help us out with the chairs. We need to stack them up over there if you're able. Uh, but make sure you sign those cards on the way out.